today's reading is from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is God's word. Hi, my name's Ben. I'm on the staff here. Let's pray as we come to this passage. Father, these words are uh, pretty hard-hitting. We pray that you would humble us before them and before you, rightly, so that we hear rightly what you've got to say to us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Sarah and I just got back from holiday, and uh, while we were away, uh, we had the joy of celebrating my cousin's wedding. And it was just one of those sort of picture-perfect scenes, you know, on a little hillside church, a little tiny building, and, you know, she looked lovely, and she walked down the aisle, and it was a lovely day. But just imagine, and this didn't, this didn't happen, it really did not happen, but just imagine that as my cousin walks down the aisle, she was texting, completely oblivious of what was going on, texting, and it turns out the best man, who'd obviously forgotten to put his phone on silent, it was him that she was texting, and actually she's not really aware of her groom until she gets to the front and the music stops and she sort of finds herself at the front of the room. What if during the vows, rather than looking lovingly into the eyes of her about to be husband. She's looking just beyond him to the best man and having a little eye contact moment with him. What if we had a real friends moment and during the vow she said the wrong name? Imagine if the speeches were delayed because the best man was too busy in the corridor kissing the bride to make his speech. Now of course things would never get that far. I mean such blatant adultery right in front of the groom. It's obvious that from her actions she doesn't give a stuff about him. She doesn't love him at all. In fact, she hates him. Look at the way she's carrying on. James says that every time we as Christians flirt with the ways of the world, we're cheating on God and we're showing that we hate him. 
In other words, when we share the same values as everyone else around us, when there's nothing different about our daydreams, our longings, or our hopes and fears for the future, we're cheating on God. Have a look at verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? You think you can two-time God? Well, you can't. Either he is your supreme love or the world is. And you've got to choose, says James. This is the crunch point of of all the talk of double-mindedness that we've had so far in James through this letter. And it's very black and white, isn't it? We live for our own selfish desires. We live for God. The problem is we live so much of our lives in the grey, don't we? But James stands back and sees things from God's perspective. Either we're heading in the right way or we're not. It's as simple as that. Do you remember, if you've been around, he's warned us in chapter 1 that when trials come, the double-minded person has one foot in God's camp, trusting him to answer prayer, sort of, and then one foot in the world's camp, doubting that God will really quite come through for them and so not really trusting him at all. Chapter 1, verse 7, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Or he's shown us in chapter 3 that a fig tree can't bear olives, a salt spring can't produce fresh water, and neither should a tongue that sings in this building on a Sunday, bless the Lord, O my soul, get into the office on Monday morning and tear people down, the people that that God himself has made. And just before our passage this evening, he's shown us that there are two kinds of wisdom. There's earthly wisdom, life's all about me, attitude full of jealousy and selfish ambition and lying. And James says that's unspiritual and even demonic. And then there's heavenly wisdom, wisdom that comes from above. And this wisdom is full of mercy and peace and sincerity And in our passage today, this is the crux of it, James tells us that we can't straddle the lines any longer. Saying that we belong to God, but actually wanting to have friendship, just to be like the world on the the side, it's adultery. You can't have both, so choose. That's the main thing James wants us to hear tonight. You can't have both, so choose. Here's what we'll see as we look through these verses together. Firstly, following selfish desires causes quarrels with others then following selfish desires is adultery against God and so from verses 6 to the end submit yourselves to God so firstly following selfish desires causes quarrels with others verses 1 to 2 now quarrels and fights with each other is the presenting issue here in James and he uses that to reveal our hearts so he asks verse 1 what causes fights and quarrels among you Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The reason we find it so hard to get along with those around us is because of the selfish desires at work in each of our hearts. So here's a silly example. When I was growing up, uh, the rest of my family one one afternoon went off to a charity fundraiser thing and I wasn't feeling very well, so I just stayed at home. But when they came back, my little brother walks in, clutching under his arm a Lego set. That's cool. 
just in case you were wondering. It wasn't just one of the boring ones. It's one of the bits with the moving parts and all the motors and all that. It was pretty awesome. Now, I'm a big, I was a big Lego fan. I still am, actually, a big Lego fan. And I'm unashamed of that. And I started thinking, well, now, if he's got one of those, what have I got? I wonder what mum and dad have brought me back from this, from this place. And sure enough, mum reached into her bag and she says, you know, we've got something for you too. And the bag rustles and out comes a Rubik's Cube. Flipping Rubik's Cube. I was like, where's my Lego? It's not. Anyway, and my face, I think my face must have visibly sunk as I looked back longingly to my brother's Lego set, which looked awesome. And I've got this stupid, I can't do any maths either, so there's no idea what it was there. Anyway, and so my desire, my jealousy for my brother Andy's Lego set caused a day of quarrelling and fights in my household. It's just as James says in verse 1 what causes quite some quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? that battle within you. It's not just a problem for kids though, is it? I don't know if you saw the reaction of uh, billionaire ex-wife Christina Sisieva to the Bastille Day attacks when uh, the terrorist guy uh, drove that lorry through those crowds. Well, the biggest sadness for Christina, who was, by the way, enjoying her, her holiday on, the, on her luxury yacht off the coast of Nice at the time, was that the attack spoiled her holiday. And so she took to social media to express her disappointment. She says, we were relaxing on a yacht, having dinner, and when a Frenchman came and said there was some kind of terrorist attack, and that's why we had to leave and return to the coast. And also, the weather was bad. We were so upset, we wanted to see the fireworks, but then this horror happened and everything was cancelled. I'm doing fine, but it's a shame the fireworks were cancelled. We have lots of security, so we're okay. Twitter went mental, as I'm sure... You can appreciate, because what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I wanted to see the fireworks. It's a shame that this guy who's going to kill those of people has spoiled that for me. And it's easy to laugh at the kids or, or balk at just this outrageous crassness. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know those same desires battling within us. You see, unlike kids, unlike these outrageous comments, we're quite sophisticated at covering up our selfish desires. We, we rationalise and justify them. We don't throw tantrums. We just say, all I want is... I wonder how you'd finish that sentence. All I want is... All I want is a nice holiday. Everyone else can afford it. Why is it so easy for them and so hard for us? All I want is recognition. I've been in this firm far longer than them, but they've been promoted ahead of me and they've been fast-tracked and I'm stuck here. All I want is to be liked and respected. If they paid as much attention to me, then I'd be the centre of that friendship group, not them. All I want is a, a relationship. God has wired me for it. So why are people who disobey him so happy and I have no one? And so these desires battle within us and they lead us so easily to quarrels and fights you see you see jealousy sneaks in doesn't it towards those who do have what we want or we begin to resent those who stop us from having what we think is rightfully ours isn't it harder to be friends with people who have stuff that we want and we don't have unless we think we can get something from them what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your desires that battle within you it's not the X-Files. The answers are not out there. The answers are in here. And the problem is with our own hearts. Quarrels don't just happen. 
They come because we want our own way and we fight for it from within, James says. That word desires, it's a Greek word hedone, which is where we get our word hedonism. Hedonism is is the ultimate me-centered life with the number one goal is to bring as much pleasure to myself as possible. And there's a battle raging inside each one of us between my self-serving, me-oriented desires and my desire to live for God and be satisfied by him. And as this all-out war rumbles on inside us, right now even, there's no limit to what we'll do to get what we want. Look at verse 2. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. Now, that's strongly put, But when you think about it, he's got a point, hasn't he? He's right. When we have something we desire in our crosshairs, there is very little we wouldn't do to get it. That's why people say, you know, I'd kill for that job. And if you don't believe me, go to Ikea on Black Friday and literally watch people trample over other people to get a few quids worth of stuff. But of course, we're sophisticated. We're not those Ikea people, are we? No, no, no. We don't trample on people like that. But we do know the darkly delicious feeling when someone who's been promoted ahead of us stuffs it up and they look like a right muppet and we think, yeah. We do find it hard as well, don't we, to congratulate those who have what we want so desperately and we cannot get. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Following our selfish desires causes quarrels with others. We'll do almost anything, almost anything to get our own way. And so as we collide with others who also want to get their own way, it ends up in a big mess and a big fight. But you see, our selfish desires don't just cause a problem on the horizontal level between you and me. No, they cause a problem on the vertical level with our relationship with God. And so... We've seen following selfish desires causes quarrels with others. But secondly, following selfish desires is adultery against God, verses 2 to 6. The second half of verse 2 then, it may come as a bit of a surprise. Read it with me. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So then, it might be that we don't have because we don't ask God at all. And why would we? Because there are plenty of things that we desire that would not look great on our prayer lists, would they? And even if there are good things that we ask for, relationships, career to go well, money to be generous with, even godliness, we ask off so often with selfish motives. So either we don't ask at all because we want to be seen as as great rather than showing God is great and actually we selfishly strive to seize whatever it is all by ourselves instead of humbly asking God. Or we do pray but we just ask completely wrongly. See, praying with the wrong motives is not praying with faith, it's praying with selfish motives. So one person I heard preach on this passage uh, quotes this prayer from an, an MP written in the 1700s. Uh, excuse the old language, hopefully you'll get, get past it. 
he wrote this, O Lord, thou knowest I have mine estates in the city of London, and likewise that I have lately purchased an estate in the county of Essex. I beseech thee to preserve the two counties of Middlesex and Essex from fire and earthquake, and as I have a mortgage in Hertfordshire, I beg of thee likewise to have an eye on compassion on that county. For the rest of the counties, thou mayest deal with them as thou art pleased. (laughs) Not a great prayer. Not a great prayer. But I wonder, are we in danger of what James calls wrong motives as we pray? To spend what we get on our pleasures. I wonder if you've ever caught yourself praying something like this. Lord, I'm finding this person such a struggle. It feels like they're always getting at me. Please help them not to be so prickly and difficult. Now, when we pray that, we're not concerned with their growth. We're not concerned with their holiness. They're just being inconvenient and we want to feel better about it. It's those same selfish desires, thinly disguised as pious prayer. It looks good. It looks like we're seeking God. But in reality, what we're doing is expressing the same selfish desires, just like the rest of the world, up to God. We're two-timing God. On the one hand, we pray the prayers and sing the songs and call ourselves his people. But even while we're doing those things, we're flirting with the self-centered desires of the world. We're prostituting ourselves to earn friendship with it. And so James says, verse 4, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? You're cheating on him. You're living for him, but you want a bit on the side from the world. And so you're having an affair, James says. In verse 5, God is pictured as the loving husband who gives us the wonderful gift of his Holy Spirit. And like any good husband, he is jealous for his bride. That's us, by the way. So verse 5, he jealously longs For the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. See our relationship with God the Father is bonded together. By the power of his Holy Spirit. And he longs jealously for our relationship with him to be restored. Because his Holy Spirit lives in you. He wants all of you. Total allegiance. And what loving spouse wouldn't want that for their husband. Or their wife. He wants our whole selves. And so when our desires rage inside us with love for the world, we're acting like his enemy. Verse 4 again. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or look into verse 6 there. God opposes the proud. The picture there is of an army being carefully arranged to counter enemy forces. It's saying that God arranges his forces against the person who proudly and selfishly desires friendship with the world. One one preacher says about this, their pride shuts out the grace of God. Think back to our texting bride at the beginning, who right in front of her groom's face flirts and cheats on him and commits adultery with the best man. Well, It is that serious. When we hear the words, love your neighbour as yourself, and then we play the worldly social ranking game in our heads. Am I better than them? Are they better than me? Where do I fit in there? It's that serious when we choose our words carelessly. Rather than loving like Jesus, we gossip and we slander just because that's what everyone else is doing. 
is that serious when we claim to be prayerful and just spout out selfish desires back to God and say, come on and fix this. Following our selfish desires is adultery against God. So what do we do? What do we do with that? I know I've been two-timing God with the world. But what now? Will he ever take me back? Look again at verse 6. But he gives more grace. But he gives us more grace. Even after our affair with the world, God is willing to take us back. And his grace is available through his son, Jesus Christ, who himself became an enemy of God in our place. Do you see, God lined up all his forces against Jesus Christ as he died upon that cross to pay for our adultery. We can know his grace. Listen to this, we can know his grace. It's there for anyone who will humble themselves before God. But there is no grace at all for the person who doesn't think they need it. So, thirdly then, finally, submit yourselves to God. Verses 6 to 12. Verse 6. God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. And again, look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So those who would humble themselves before God will know his grace. They will know his pardon for their adultery. And James teaches us three ways that each of us can submit ourselves to God. So look at these. Firstly, come near to God. Come near to God. Picture it this way. If God is on one side of this stage... And the object of our selfish desire is on the other side of this stage. Then obviously, in turning towards God, we need to turn away from those selfish desires. It is that black and white. And so, there's sort of put positively and negatively. Look at verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. As someone has put it, we won't resist friendship with the world until we resist the prince of this world. So rather than giving in to what the world holds dear, we need to turn away from its values, which means no more gossip or slander, no more social hierarchies, no more ignoring God's words, even the painful ones. And as we do that, we have a promise. Look again, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the flip side to that, if that's the negative way of putting it, here's the positive way in verse 8. Come near to God, another promise, and he will come near to you. There's huge comfort in that, isn't there? Knowing that if we genuinely humble ourselves and just come back, God will take us as his own again. Imagine that bride caught in adultery, completely exposed, What comfort would there be in knowing that her loving husband can't wait to take her back if only she would come? And you know, we've got even more confidence 
than that as we come near to God. Why? He's shown his love for us. Enough to send his beloved son, Jesus, to pay the price for our adultery against him. And now through Jesus, we can approach his throne of grace with confidence, as we sang earlier. Knowing that as we do, he won't turn us away. No, he'll do the opposite. He'll come near us. He'll come near to us. That's what God says to us tonight. Come near to God and he will draw near to you. Secondly, we come near to God and and we secondly submit ourselves to him as we repent earnestly. Look again at the end of verse 8. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. See, repenting earnestly means that turning away from our desires towards God, both outwardly in our actions and inwardly in our hearts, in our beliefs, in our attitudes. So we're to wash our hands. We're to be outwardly clean as we change the things we do. The question is, do the deeds that accompany our faith show genuine love for God? Or do they give us away as a fraud and show that we really don't love God at all? Do our deeds show a love for God or do they give us away as a fraud? But we won't change outwardly unless we first change inwardly. And also, as he says, purify our hearts. There needs to be a genuine inward change in our lives. So as our desires battle within us, we need to pray that God would change our hearts. We should expect a fight. Our desires are raging inside. But don't forget, he gives more grace. He can change our hearts through the power of the knowledge of the gospel in Jesus' death and resurrection. And so as our hearts are changed, so will our attitudes towards sin be changed. Those things we used to flirt with will begin to hate them. The things we once laughed at when someone cracked one of those, that's, that's what she said type jokes, they're going to make us cringe and, and mourn and, and wail those old adulterous ways which are so far from the Christ that we've come to trust in. And as we think about how we've treated God, James says we should grieve, mourn, and wail. We shouldn't be satisfied with the, the kind of light view of sin that the world has. I wonder, when, when were we last so appalled and so ashamed and so sorrowful for our sin that we just broke down and wept? Repent earnestly. And finally, more briefly, don't slander one another. Come near to God, repent earnestly, don't slander one another. You see, as we humble ourselves before God, once again, on the, on the vertical level, there's got to be a change on a horizontal level. That humbling ourselves before God must mean a change in the way that we relate to one another. So verse 11, he says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. When we speak against others, what we're essentially doing is sitting in judgment upon them. And actually, these verses say more than that. We're sitting in judgment upon God's law. We're putting ourselves in the judgment seat. But verse 12, James says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, and it's not you. And it's not me. Jesus Christ, who died and then rose again from the dead, he's the judge. 
So who then are we to judge our brothers and sisters here tonight? Who are we to judge others when we ourselves are accountable to a greater judge? We're not to selfishly assume the the judge's seat, but instead to submit ourselves to God and let the true judge and lawgiver call the shots. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, it's our selfish desires, which we give into because, frankly, we're in love with the world. We've been committing adultery against God. We've turned our back on him. And we've made ourselves his enemies and he's aligned his forces against us. But there is grace for all who would humble themselves and submit themselves to God, who would trust in Jesus Christ, who in our place took the forces of God's judgment. There is grace for all those who would flee from sin and come back to God, clinging to him. There is grace for all who would weep over their sin and earnestly repent and seek God in prayer for the power to change. There is grace for all those who resolve to treat each other differently and give God our whole souls. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Well look, we started tonight by thinking about adultery and the Christian life in in one sense is like a marriage on a wedding day, that the piece of paper you sign means you are married. That's it. You know, you've signed the piece of paper, you're married. But the point of marriage is that you love your spouse. And that means the whole of your life is going to change. Everything, top to bottom. Similarly, you're a Christian if you've put your trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for your sins. But the point of knowing Jesus and the point of, 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 of loving him is, is just that, to love him and know him better. And that's going to mean a, a complete top-to-bottom change in our lives. The wonderful thing about all of this, I find, is we can live lives wholeheartedly for God. We actually, that's really possible. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But there is a warning for us as well, and it's this. If we live just like the world... Perhaps we've not understood this gospel. If we live just like the world, we need to question, have I really put my trust in this Jesus? And if that's you tonight, would would you come back to God? He so longs for you with open arms that he sent his son to die. Would you turn back and repent tonight? Would you just come and know the grace that is awaiting you? Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. We're going to have a moment of quiet before we humble ourselves and pray the prayer that will be on the screen or in your service sheets, which is a confession of how we have turned away from God and loved other things more than him. But before we do that, let's just have a moment of quiet to reflect on our own hearts, what the Holy Spirit has been convicting us of this evening. And then we'll pray together in just a minute.
Let's pray this prayer together, beginning redeeming God. Redeeming God, we confess to you today that we are prone to love our own wisdom better than yours. In our weakness, we fail to think of you, to ask for help, or to remember how foolish we are. Although you have punished your precious son in our place and given us spiritual riches beyond imagination, we find it difficult to trust you and we set our hearts on evil things. Father, help us to trust in your wisdom at the cross where you poured out your wrath on Christ in our place. In his name we pray, amen. As I invite the band up, Let's remind ourselves of the wonderful grace that is ours as we pray. Father God, we thank you that there is grace. Please guard us from thinking that we can walk through this life obeying those selfish desires which are so contrary to your character and all your goodness. And please call us awake from them now. We've just confessed to you that we can't do this alone. And so as we humble ourselves before you, Do as you've promised and lift us up. Lift our eyes to Christ, our saviour, who died for our adultery and who is now raised to new life again. Help us to, by your Holy Spirit, share in that new risen life of his and will we see genuine change? Would you please reawaken the affections that we have for Christ and help us to turn from those selfish desires, resist them and turn to you. And we can only do that by your strength. So we ask you would remind us of that as we sing now these two songs. That you would remind us of your goodness and the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.